0: This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A warm welcome to all those who are gathered for worship today. We extend a special welcome to guests and visitors who are with us and also those who are joining us by the radio and by uh, the uh, live streaming on Facebook. We're delighted that we can uh, come together this Lord's Day and uh, honor and worship our God. A couple of announcements before our call to worship. First of all, uh, sad news concerning uh, the death of one of our beloved members. Uh, yesterday morning, Dr. Stuart can- Canis, Canis uh, passed away, and uh, we extend our sympathy to uh, his family, to the, especially to the posthumous of our congregation. pray that God would comfort them. Uh, funeral arrangements have not yet been finalized, uh, but it's being handled by the Van Dyke Duven Funeral Home, so you can Check their website perhaps uh, tomorrow night to see what uh, arrangements uh, have been made. Also, uh, I've been asked to uh, ask you to uh, uh, sit down right after the benediction. Uh, There'll be no interlude between uh, the worship service and the Sunday School Catechism Christmas program. Of course, some of you may have to leave, but uh, uh, we encourage all of you to uh, stay uh, right after the benediction, just be seated again, and the uh, program for, from the Sunday School and Catechism children will begin. Our call to worship is taken from, Psalm, uh, from uh, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 68, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do gather together to bless you and to praise you because you have visited. You have come to us. You have come to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us. You have raised up a strong instrument of salvation for us, and so we give you praise and thanks and honor and glory. We pray that you would bless our worship today, that you would be with us, and that uh, you would receive our worship through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us praise God in song by singing selection number 297. Stand if you're able and sing the six stanzas of number 297. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God's will for our lives as it is recorded for us in the Ten Commandments, reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Our Lord summarized these commandments through his servant, the Apostle Paul, with these words from Romans 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let us respond to God's law with a song confessing our need for His grace and forgiveness. Selection number 179, forgive our sins as we forgive. We'll remain seated and sing the, all the stanzas of number 179. ask God to forgive our sins and to cleanse the depths within our souls to take away bitterness and resentment and hatred of others that we may be assured that indeed our sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. We are assured that God is a gracious and forgiving God. We read the gospel from uh, Luke uh, from uh, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Indeed God has loved us. He has sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, that is to turn aside the anger of God, so that God is not angry with us any more because of our sins, but instead looks upon us in love as a father cares for His children. What a glorious thing it is that God has come in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die to pay for our sins that we might be forgiven. We have been forgiven a huge debt. The debt that others owe to us because of their sins against us is nothing in comparison to what has been forgiven by God. And Therefore, as you know God's forgiveness, as you experience it, you are called to then in turn love one another. And as you love one another, you receive assurance that indeed your sins are forgiven. Let us come to God in congregational prayer. And uh, last week we asked you to pray for the uh, grandson of Clarence and Marlene uh, Hedinka, a 15-year-old grandson who was in the hospital uh, suffering from a uh, uh, immune system problem with regard to uh, COVID antibodies. Uh, we're happy to report that he, has, he is recovering. He's uh, out of the hospital and uh, maybe in a, uh, have some weakness for a few months, but uh, he should uh, expect a full recovery and so we're thankful for that answer to our prayers. Let's come to God now in congregational prayer. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, We thank and praise You that You have loved us and sent Your Son, Jesus, to die for us. And we thank You that with Jesus You give us all that we stand in need of. We come as needy people, and we come to ask that You would help us in our need. We pray for those of our number and our loved ones, our loved ones near and far away. We pray that You would be close to us and help us in our need be with those who are recovering from illness or injury or surgeries, be also with those who are suffering from the infirmities of age or from chronic illness for which there is no earthly hope of recovery in this life. We pray that if it be your will, you would grant healing, but if not, grant patience and give us hope for that day when you will make all things new. We pray that you would comfort those who mourn the loss of loved ones, especially those who have lost a husband or a wife or a child or a grandchild. We pray that you would be near and dear to them, especially in the holiday season when that bereavement is felt so strongly. And we pray for the family of Dr. Richard and Carol Postuma and uh, their uh, family. We pray that you would comfort them in the loss of Carol's father. Uh, and pray that as they gather together as family for the funeral, that uh, you would encourage them from your word and by your spirit and uh, show them that indeed, through Jesus Christ, we have victory even over death itself. We pray that you would be with Shirley Verhoef in the passing of her sister-in-law, Jeanette Jansen. We pray for Jeanette's uh, husband, Roger, and their sons, uh, Russ and Mike, and their families, as well as Shirley, that you would be with them to comfort them in their bereavement, and may they experience uh, your nearness and presence in their lives. We thank you for the uh, healing that uh, uh, Clarence and uh, Marlene Hedinga's grandson, Caleb, has experienced, and pray uh, with gratitude for the work of the doctors and the hospital in uh, Sioux Falls. We thank you that they are instruments of healing in your hands for so many and pray that uh, Caleb may indeed regain all his strength and be able to uh, uh, go on with his uh, education and preparation for whatever calling you have in store for him. We pray for our brother Harold Gorder that you would continue to bring healing to his body and uh, continue to strengthen him. We thank you for the the wonderful progress that he has made, and pray that that progress may uh, continue. We pray for others, O Lord, who uh, are also suffering from uh, illness, that you would help them to regain their strength. We pray that you would be with those in senior facilities, and uh, pray that... uh, even though they are not allowed visitors, that you would be close to them and near, the, near to them, that they would uh, know that you are a very present help in time of need and that they would find much comfort from your word and through the encouragement of our prayers. We pray for our brother John Vanden Haar, that you would be with him and with uh, Gary B. Geisen. We thank you that Gary is making uh, some progress and getting better. We pray that you would continue to encourage them and their family. Father, we pray for the elders of the congregation and the deacons. We thank you for their labors and ask that you would continue to equip those who are preparing to be installed, ordained and installed to office in January and pray that those retiring also may continue to look for ways to use their gifts in the service of the church be with the search committee as they look for a new pastor. We pray that you would uh, bless their efforts and uh, lead them to the man whom you have chosen and prepared to serve this congregation. We pray for our college students, uh, many of whom are on uh, winter break now, and pray that uh, they may have uh, a time of refreshment from their studies and uh, time to uh, visit with family Pray that uh, you would keep them safe and well during this time. We pray for families, for husbands and wives, for children, for children in school. We thank you, Father, for our schools and pray that the children may indeed learn about you and about your world and how they may serve you in it. We pray for our nation and those who rule over us, that they may govern wisely and well that they may recognize that the righteous standards revealed in your word are the righteous standards by which we should be governed. Lord, we pray that we may see uh, the blessings of peace, true peace through faith in Christ abound in our land. As the gospel goes forth, may uh, many hearts be turned away from the kingdom of this world and from the darkness and brought out into the kingdom of your Son and into the light and the joy of sins forgiven. Oh, Lord, bless us as we bring our offering for the Christian Education Assistance Fund uh, at the conclusion of the service and uh, our time of uh, uh, rejoicing together with the children after the service. We pray your blessing upon uh, all this that we do to your honor and glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship God by singing selection number 410. number. 410, and we'll, uh, Christian Hearts in Love United, we'll sing all the stanzas, standing if you're able. Scripture lesson is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 and reading through verse 22, with particular attention to verses 14 to 18. Ephesians chapter 2, page 1344, 1344 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians 2, verse 11, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And he and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, whereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. As far as the reading of God's Word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, at this season of the year... We remember in a special way the coming, the Advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Advent is the special coming, the coming of something special. And uh, what came, what comes and is very special is the second person of the Trinity, the Word made flesh that comes uh, to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We considered something of the Advent last Sunday when we considered Uh, Two of the purposes for which Jesus came into the world from uh, the beginning of Luke's gospel, we saw that he comes to bring good news, especially the news of the year of the Lord's favor, called in other places the year of jubilee, the year of canceling debts and restoration of property, which uh, speaks uh, very much to our need Our debt needs to be canceled. Our debt to God's justice needs to be canceled. And we long to be restored to the full inheritance of being children of God, created in His image and uh, given uh, dominion over uh, this uh, beautiful creation that He has uh, given to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and thus given to us as well. Uh, We want to be forgiven and we want to be restored to the, uh, the joy of our inheritance in a renewed heaven and earth. But uh, today we look at another passage that speaks about why Jesus came into the world. He came to bring peace. We read in verse uh, 17, and he came and preached peace. Jesus came, and he came and preached peace. And Paul says in this passage, he is our peace, and he made peace. Peace is, sadly, a very rare commodity today, as has been for many centuries and millennium of human history. There isn't a lot of peace in the world, beginning even in our own homes. We uh, recognize that one of the great uh, plagues upon our culture is something called domestic violence where husbands and wives are at war with each other daily. And should they decide to go to a court against each other and sue for divorce, then they really take the gloves off and it's all out open warfare. But also, children seem always in perpetual rebellion against parents, at war with parents, and some adult children reject entirely every value taught to them by parents and cut off all communication. There is open warfare between parents and children. Leaving the home and going to our cities, we see that our cities are often at war. All our major cities are plagued with gang violence, with shootings and killings every week that are so common they don't de- even they aren't even reported in the news anymore and there are revolutionary groups in our cities that will use the slightest provocation to loot and to burn and to to murder uh, the cities are at war political parties are at war with each other there are Class, there is class warfare where the the rich look down and despise the poor, the poor envy and hate the rich. Each feels uh, the privilege of exploiting or taking advantage of the other if given the opportunity. And there are ethnic groups, that is, people of different skin colors who are ready to. Uh, who are suspicious of one another, ready to believe uh, stereotypes about each other and to commit acts of violence against each other. All kinds of warfare in our society. And then there are nations torn apart by war. I uh, did a little research and saw that the, the four biggest wars in the world right now are The internal war in Afghanistan, the internal war in Yemeni and Syria, and also the war with drug cartels, uh, between drug cartels and the Mexican government. We don't hear a lot about it in the news because we've had so much domestic news and there aren't too many Americans involved in those wars anymore, but there are still many places where there is a great deal of conflict. Indeed, there are 60 places where there is armed conflict and uh, killing uh, currently in the world. Uh, The United Nations is not able to keep the peace. And although the Nobel Prize for Peace has been awarded every year since 1901, the world still is a very violent place. The 20th century, the most violent and bloody in human history and the 21st century, this century being initiated with a terrible act of terrorism that killed over 3,000 people, and wars and violence continue in this time as well. The world is becoming more and more violent, less and less safe. The best efforts of the best key peacemakers seem to be of no avail. Where is this peace Peace that Jesus came to bring when he was born, the angels uh, proclaimed from the heavens peace on earth. Where is that peace on earth? Has, Has Jesus failed in his mission? Well, let's look at our text and see what it says there about this one who came and preached peace, who is our peace, and who made peace. To understand this passage of Scripture, we need to understand it first in its broader context. And the broader context is a prayer at the end of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul prays that uh, the Ephesian churches might know the, quote, immeasurable greatness of his power, that is, God's power, toward us who believe. He wants you to know God's immeasurable power. God has this great power, this infinite power, power you can't measure. and He wants Christians to know that. And he gives three examples or three instances of this power. Right in chapter 1, he says, this is the power that raised Christ from the dead. The immeasurable power of God was the power that raised Christ from the dead, and he wants you to know that power. And he mentions in the first ten verses of chapter two that God also raises up us up from the dead. You who are dead in trespasses and sins. He's made you alive and he's raised you up with Christ. And uh, prepared you for a life of service and good works that he prepared in advance for you to walk in. And that too is God's immeasurable power at work. It raised Christ from the dead and it raises you from the dead. And people are excited to learn and see that, that God is in the business of transforming people. Transforming them from death to life, from sinners to saints. What a glorious power God has at work. But then there's a third instance, and that's really what we're concerned about here. He's talking about the the power of God to bring sinners together in a loving family. Jews and Gentiles for centuries had hated each other. For millennia in the Old Testament had hated each other and always been at war with each other. And now this power of God is used not only to transform individuals from sinners to saints, but then to bring those saints together in community, in fellowship, to make them a united temple, a united dwelling for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. God has broken down the division that separates people from each other. He has broken down the hostility and the animosity and the enmity that that exists between people to create a new community, a new brotherhood, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Paul likens in other passages to a body, a body made up of several parts, but all connected parts. And, and, and one part can't say, I don't need the other part. Every part is needed. They're all joined together. If one part hurts, the whole body hurts. If one part is missing, the whole body suffers. If one part isn't doing its part, the whole body suffers. We're all interconnected and united together in a fellowship of love, in a brotherhood of love. You know, American Christians really need to take this to heart because we are all influenced by our very individualistic culture. The trend today is to say I'm spiritual but not religious, which means uh, a lot of different things to different people. But to most people, it means uh, I I believe in God, but I don't believe in religion. Uh, institutions of religion, (laughs) the the religious institutions. I reject the institutions, the church, in in other words. I I have a personal relationship with God. I have a personal belief in God. I may even say I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't need that church. That church is full of hypocrites. It's full of sinners. It's full of all kinds of problems. They can't get along with each other and and so uh, I just uh, will live my life in relationship with God and uh, let those uh, church people do their own thing. I don't need them. You know, even, even people who go to church are influenced by this individualistic spirit. Uh, they don't go to church because of the fellowship or the brotherhood of believers knit together in love and service. They, they go because they like the music. But they go because they like uh, the atmosphere, the, the architecture, the literature. It, it gives them a warm feeling inside and promotes uh, a private uh, meditation. They go because there's a good program for the children, or they go because the preacher is entertaining. But they, they come, they sit down, they uh, absorb what they want to absorb, and then they leave. They're really not incorporated into the body of Christ. Some church members are happy for any excuse to stay home. And uh, indeed, now there is a very valid uh, excuse to stay home, namely this COVID crisis, uh, where uh, there are many people who are very vulnerable who ought to stay home, and uh, But when the COVID crisis is over, and uh, we can give thanks that uh, vaccines, I think, will begin to be distributed very much uh, today or tomorrow, uh, and uh, in a few months, hopefully six months at, the, at least, uh, the, I think this COVID crisis will be over, and then we'll we'll see how many people have used this as an excuse and are ready to come back. Now, uh, thankfully, every Every one of our uh, members who I've talked to who aren't attending now have assured me they long to come back, and I believe them. I I, I, I know that indeed it is a hardship for them, but churches throughout the United States and Canada are going to have a, an awakening, I think, when they see lots of people say, you know, radio, live streaming, that's all I need. I, I don't need that. Fellowship, I don't need to have to travel there and all the rigmarole of church membership. I'll just uh, get my spiritual uh, inoculation once a week by uh, turning on the radio or looking at at a live stream. The immeasurable power of God not only raised Christ from the dead, not only raises us from the dead. The immeasurable power of God is also supposed to bring us together into community, into fellowship, where we experience peace and reconciliation, greeting one another warmly, encouraging one another, building each other up, serving one another, joined together as members of one body. Peace is not merely the absence of hostility. It's the presence of reconciliation. It's family bonds of love. If you don't want that, if, you, if you're content with just to say, my soul is saved and I have a relationship with God and that's all I need. If you don't want the church, if your heart isn't longing for the fellowship of the body of Christ, then you need to ask God to forgive you. You need to repent of that and say, Lord, open my eyes to see the, the full work that you intend for your people, how you are creating a new humanity that is meant to live together in peace in fellowship, in love. Now, we need to ask the question, why does He need to bring peace? And this isn't a difficult question to answer, but our text goes into it, and we need to, to talk about it. And it's simply this, that we're sinners. And sinners have a heart problem. A heart problem where uh, we, our love that ought to be there, it has been corrupted. You know, you uh, know, I'm sure some of you, many of you, perhaps have seen a, a video clip on television or the internet—a video clip of three babies who have just learned to walk. They can—they're they're t- three toddlers, and uh, they're one—one's black, one's white, and one's Asian—and they are interacting with each other. They're playing with each other. They they come and they hug each other and maybe give each other a kiss. And and the message of the video is that nobody is born a racist. Nobody is born a racist. Well that's that's propaganda. That's the devil's propaganda. It's a good it's a wonderful thing that little children of different races and different skin colors can play together. But If you were to take a teddy bear that belongs to one of those children and give it to the child to whom it belongs, well, you know what's going to (laughs) happen. The other two are going to want it. And the child who owns it and has has possession of it isn't going to say, oh, here, you want it? It will make me happy to see you happy playing with my toy. That doesn't happen. <laughs> they will fight. It's, it's the case that they, at their age, don't see any differences between themselves with respect to kin, skin color, but introduce something about which they do notice a difference, and they will fight with each other. Every parent knows that as soon as a child is capable of lying, they will lie. As soon as a child is capable of Uh, Cheating, they will cheat. If a child is injured, he will return that injury with twice as much force as with with which he was injured. That's just, that's the nature of fallen human beings. We are racist from birth. We are selfish from birth. As soon as we see the differences and we put ourselves first ahead of others, that's why there is division in human nature. Paul writes about what uh, about the enmity or the hatred that divides him. He says it comes from the law with its ordinances or regulations in verse 15. Now don't misunderstand. Paul is not saying that God's law is the problem. He dealt with this also in Romans 7 and says that the law is a good thing and it 's not that a good thing is is bad it 's that sin in us makes the law bring out our sin all the more. Uh, the law becomes the occasion for revealing our sin uh, because of the weakness of our our nature and because of our sinful nature. When he refers to the ordinances of the law he 's especially referring to Mosaic ceremonies and to dietary laws, uh, what is sometimes called the, the holiness code that set the Israelites apart from the nations, set them apart as belonging to the Lord. God intended for the Israelites to see themselves as a people called out of the world and called unto himself to be separate from the world. They were a holy people, a people set apart who lived differently from the rest of the world. And uh, uh, in, in every aspect of their lives, the Holiness Code was a symbol of the way they were to separate from all that is unholy and corrupt, even in little things of life. And it was a symbol, symbol of the fact that all of life is, is meant to be holy. And the ceremonial law divided mankind. It was a wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. But the Israelites forgot That the reason they had been called out of the world and unto God, the reason they had been made a people set apart was because of the grace of God, not because of merit. And so this wall of division became the occasion for their pride and their arrogance. And they looked down upon the Gentiles as being filthy, as being the the uncircumcised pagans, you know. We're the, the holy ones. We're the good ones. We're the ones God loves, and God hates them, and so we hate them too. And they forgot about the fact that they had been chosen by grace. They lifted themselves up in pride, in arrogance, and looked down on others in hatred. Ceremonies were the occasion for the division because of the, the sinfulness of their hearts, particularly the pride of their hearts. And you know, religious people, religious people in the world today are not a whole lot different. They think that because they live moral, upstanding lives, have never been arrested or, or been caught in any scandalous crime, that, that that makes them better than other people. And uh, they look down on uh, people who who are... Caught in scandals, public scandals, or who have made a, a wreck of their lives through alcohol or drugs or uh, prostitution or immorality of some fair nature that has become known, they say, Ah, oh, those filthy people, you know. Uh, Thank you, God, that I'm not like that. And, and uh, we lift ourselves up in pride. Intellectuals and scholars are sometimes like this as well in their pride and their arrogance. They think they're superior to mankind. And the world would be so much better off if if, if the rabble of mankind would just let us, uh, men who wear white coats, uh, the scientists, you know, just let us tell you what you ought to do. Because we're smarter than you. you. You people don't understand. You're, you're just all... Uh, uh, ignoramuses, and, and and you don't understand what, uh, what right and wrong is, so listen to us. We'll tell you. We're the authority. The rich look down on the poor. The poor envy the rich, and they uh, each uh, think they can uh, take advantage of the other. Those who are sinned against demand justice, but what they really want is revenge, a revenge far out of proportion to the original offense. We're all greedy. We're all motivated by self-love and self-interest. God God commands, love your neighbor as yourself. God commands, uh, consider others better than yourself. That's what has to be learned. Racism, hatred, animosity, division, that's what comes naturally from fallen human hearts. But... Uh, uh, that is the problem, Jesus said, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Paul writes in Titus, for we ourselves were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by others, and hating one another. And again from Romans three there. There are none righteous, no, not one. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery and the way of peace. The way of peace they have not known. That's why Jesus has to come into the world and bring peace. Because our hearts are corrupt and corrupt hearts are proud and arrogant. And pride and arrogance leads to Hatred and violence and murder. But what does Jesus do to make peace? Well, he makes peace, our text tells us, by the cross. The cross makes peace between us and God, and the cross makes peace between you and me, and between us and our fellow man. It makes peace between us and God because at the cross... Christ pays the debt to God's justice, the debt that you and I owe. He suffers the punishment that we deserve so that we can be forgiven and adopted into the family of God. God ceases to be an angry judge. He becomes our loving Father. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Christ makes peace between us and God at the cross by atoning for our sins, by being the propitiation for our sins, by turning aside the wrath of God and enabling us to know the favor and the, the loving kindness of a heavenly Father. But Christ also makes peace between fellow human beings by breaking down the law, uh, the breaking down the wall of, of division. Uh, he fulfilled the law, accomplishing once for all all that the ceremonies represents. He, he fulfilled all that to which the ceremonies pointed. They are not uh, needed anymore because the real thing is in Christ. Now people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation may approach God on the, the basis of the merit of Christ. We're all on an equal footing. No one nation or people group is singled out to re- represent the people of God Of course, that was God's plan from the beginning when he uh, said uh, that uh, the seed of the woman would uh, uh, triumph over the seed of the serpent. But also uh, when he said to Abraham, through your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Uh, Jesus is a light uh, for the Gentiles, Isaiah said. He's, uh, it was God's plan always to, to use Israel as an illustration of what God would one day do for all humanity, call a people unto Himself from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Now they are not uh, distinguished from worldliness by uh, a diet, uh, a Jewish diet. Now we are uh, distinguished by baptism, which is manifested to the world by the way that we love one another. In this will all men know that you are my disciples, says Jesus, that you love one another. And Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, Father, may they be one, may they be perfectly one, may they be united so that the world may know, so that the world may know that you sent me. The gospel is called the gospel of reconciliation. Reconciliation between man and God and reconciliation between men. And when the world sees how, how, how Christians are reconciled to one another, they know that the gospel has real power, immeasurable power, and that the gospel is indeed true. The cross uh, brings us together in a number of ways. It, it brings us together because the cross humbles us. It it teaches us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. It is, uh, uh, the cross says, you are a sinner. Even if you are a highly respected member of the community who has always lived a morally upright life, what does it take to save you? It takes the death of the Son of God to save you. The exact same thing it takes to save a drug addict, a prostitute, a thief, a murderer. They too are saved by the death of the Son of God. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, they were members of the ruling council. They were highly regarded, respectable men in the community. They were members of the covenant community. They had to be saved by the death of the Son of God. The cross puts all of us on an equal footing. We're all lost sinners, and therefore we can't lift ourselves up in pride and look down our noses at each other. Who am I to judge or condemn anyone who has sinned against me or or hurt me? I deserve nothing from God except eternal damnation. But what has He given me? He's given me mercies that are new every morning and the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. No, the cross brings us together by humbling us. It changes the way we look at ourselves. It also changes the way we look at the world. We see that the world is just like us, except for the grace of God, that the only thing that distinguishes us is the grace of God. There's no room for saying that my tribe or my class or my country is better than yours. You know, Paul told masters to treat their slaves Fairly and justly. Treat your slaves fairly and justly. That one command found a couple of times in his epistles ought to have ended any thought of what is known as chattel slavery. Chattel slavery means slavery where you you, you think you own another human being. To, to, to For one person to to claim to own another and have total control, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself, which is the requirement of the law, which is the definition of justice and fairness. That one command should just end it all. The same thing is true with respect to to Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon, I'm I'm returning your your runaway slave, Onesimus, to you. He, He ran away, and I'm returning him to you, your slave. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to receive him as a brother. Again, on that text, that text alone, the institution of slavery as it was practiced in, in human history over the last centuries, uh, millennia or so, it, it never should have existed if the teaching of Paul had been implemented, if masters had treated their slaves with justice and fairness and and treated their slaves as as brothers. It changes the way we look at people in the world and uh, we see them as fellow human beings. There but for the grace of God go I, and there is no reason again for lifting ourselves up in pride or arrogance but it especially changes the way we look at at fellow Christians. You know, Paul is telling us here, your fellow Christians are are your family. They are your, your brothers and sisters. We're being built together into a structure, a body in which the Holy Spirit dwells, not only individually, but corporately. We're we're united together through the Spirit, reconciled to God, and then through Christ, reconciled to one another. All adopted members of one new family. You know, when earthly parents adopt a a child, they give that child uh, a name. They give that child legal status in the family equal to any other biological children that may be in the family or Uh, The same legal status that a biological child would have if there were one in the family. Uh, they, They shower that child with love. But one thing that human parents can't give to adopted children is their DNA. But what human parents can't do, God does for His adopted children. He gives us His DNA. He gives us His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit goes to work in us, to renew in us, what we were created to be, image bearers of God. So that we begin to look like, in a spiritual way, in a, in a righteousness way, in a knowledge way, in a holiness way, we begin to look like our Heavenly Father. We begin to look like our brother, Jesus Christ. We have the family resemblance being formed anew in us. So that we are real members of one family in every sense of the word. You know, I suppose there are a few people here who are an only child, but most of you have siblings. And even if you are an only child, I think you know something of what it might be like to have a sibling. You know, the relationship between uh, siblings is is very close. Siblings confide in each other things that they would never tell somebody outside the family. Well, it sometimes happens that siblings have a falling out and they don't get along well together. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that. And what's it like? Well, it hurts. It hurts, doesn't it? Because you know that there is an underlying relationship that ought to manifest itself. In closeness, in unity, in love, you have a bond, a bond that you didn't choose. It was, it was given to you. You don't choose your siblings. You find out who they are when you come to life, you know? And that's the case in the church as well. Sometimes we don't get along as well as we should, and it should hurt when that happens. And we ought to strive to have a close communion and fellowship and love and service. We belong together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the immeasurable power of God at work in us who believe. Christ came to bring peace. a peace that is not merely the absence of hostility, it's the presence of reconciliation. The presence of love. The presence of mutual service. the, The presence of family closeness. The presence of peace, that is the birthright of the church. That is what we're called to do in gratitude for the free gift of salvation. And when we practice it, it becomes a source of great joy and brings praise to God for the greatness of His power that is at work in us who believe. What a glorious Christmas present from God through Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ came to bring peace, a peace that is already manifested and beginning to be manifested in the church, a peace that will envelop the whole earth when Christ comes again. We pray indeed that we may experience that peace now and look for its fulfillment in the life to come. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by singing together number 405, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I love the church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thy eye, engraven on thy hand. We'll sing, if you're able, and sing all six stanza of 405. Offering to be received as we exit the auditorium is for the Christian Education Assistance Fund. And our closing song is number 310, and we'll sing stanzas 1, 5, and 6. The first and the last two stanzas of number 310. the benediction, I invite you to be seated and to uh, remain for the Sunday School and Catechism Christmas program. Receive now God's parting blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
1: Welcome once again everybody, we really appreciate that you're able to stay with us and uh, help celebrate the season with our Christmas program, a little different than typical, but uh, we are yet children are eager to give the program, to praise to God, and uh, if we can all join together you'll notice in the program that uh, you're to participate with us too today, so thank you once again. I'll open with a word of prayer in a moment. And then uh, as they're setting up, we're going to ask you to sing one of the songs in your program. And then there's another song too as the children come up. And then also afterwards, the children are to go to their prospective classrooms and get a gift. Shall we pray? Dear Lord in heaven, we are so grateful for the opportunity to sing praises to you. We are so grateful for the opportunity today to be in your presence. We ask that you receive our songs and our praise to you as for our grat- gratitude. We're so grateful that you have sent your Son that he too would save us from our sins. In thine more we pray. Amen.
2: One underlying message that runs throughout the entire Bible. It is the message message of salvation by a Redeemer. The Old Testament prophesies that a Savior will come. The New Testament tells us that he has come and what he has done. This plan of redemption is often referred to as the covenant of grace. Grace, the sole source from which flows the goodwill, love, and salvation of God unto his chosen people.
3: Grace-God's divine favor shown to sinners who deserve just the opposite
4: Grace-God's plan to save mankind from the just consequences of his sin
2: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
3: It is the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ.
4: And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation.
2: And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.
3: And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses,
5: but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ.
2: For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men.
3: Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us.
4: We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Thank you.
2: Consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him?
5: But
3: when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons.
4: Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bondservant and coming to in likeness of man.
2: These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name.
3: O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples.
4: Spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God.
3: I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness.
2: Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God?
3: Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Alleluia for the Lord God omnipotent reigns
4: The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever King of kings and Lord of lords
0: We thank you to the little children, to the uh, young adults, to the readers, to the teachers, catechism teachers, Sunday school teachers, to our musicians and readers and violinists. A hearty thanks from the congregation and council, and uh, we give thanks to God for each of you who have uh, shared your talents and gifts in this wonderful celebration. Let's give thanks to God, Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father. We thank and praise you for your great gift to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We thank you that we may celebrate his birth at this season of the year and pray that throughout the whole year and throughout all our lives, we may remember what he has done for us so that we no longer live for self, but live for him who gave himself for us. In his name we pray. Amen.